This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. All right. Hello, everyone. This is Kim Walker with the Auto Repair Marketing Podcast. And I'm thrilled to do something a little different today. I have some of my team here with me, and we are going to be talking to you about an incredibly important topic of marketing security. But before we do that, I do want to stop and thank our friends at RepairPal for sponsoring the Auto Repair Marketing Podcast. Learn more about RepairPal at repairpal.com forward slash shops. They are a certified network of shops trusted by millions of customers each month. So learn more about them at repairpal.com forward slash shops. I said marketing security and some of you probably went yawn or maybe you thought, what marketing security? Well, let me tell you where this is coming from. Every single day, I think we get spam in some form or fashion, security issues with Facebook access or Google business profile. And something happened recently where I thought we really need to educate our audience about this to help you shop owners take control of the security. We think about cybersecurity and you think about a security system at your shop for preventing people from stealing things at the shop. But what about securing your Facebook? And you think about you're sitting on a park bench playing with your kids one day and your phone gets stolen. Well, Somebody has access to get into your Facebook and you probably have your bank account attached to it because maybe you've done a boosted post before and they have access to your Google business profile or whatever. There's so many things that can happen. And so we started putting together, based on our experiences, a whole list of topics, tidbits, tips, some things to help you really secure all of the things related to your marketing from your website your domain, your Facebook, your Google ads, all of that kind of stuff. So let me introduce our panel here. So in the order of that they are on my screen here, I'm just going to have them just for a quick second, tell you who they are and what they do here at Shop Marketing Pros so that you have an understanding of their authority on this topic. So Michelle... Tell us about yourself and what do you do? Hello, I am Michelle and I am the project manager for both our website team and our SEO department at Shop Marketing Pros. So I definitely have experienced this with our clients on both ends with the website and as well as their SEO. All right. Thanks, Michelle. Haley. Hey guys, I am Haley. I'm the digital advertising director here at Shop Marketing Pros. So I handle all things Google and Facebook ads. So I have a little bit of experience with the Google access side, as well as the Facebook page and ad account access side. Thank you, Haley. And Miss Caroline. Hey y'all, I'm Caroline. I'm the senior messaging strategist here at Shop Marketing Pros. And I work a lot with Facebook and Instagram, especially when it comes to getting access for us to work with the pages, to be able to market for our clients and overall with access on a lot of other platforms like your CRMs and shop softwares and our team's ability to work with them. Yep. Awesome. So I'll tell you from a security standpoint here at Shop Marketing Pros, we have done an incredible amount of security work. So we have something that it's software that we use called LastPass where all of the passwords are stored and different people have different levels of access. No one can see the actual password. It requires two-factor authentication. We're going to get into all of this, but 
I'm sharing that with you because I want to start talking about access to your accounts and security. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about website security. We are going to talk about identifying when is this spam? When is it not spam? Is it a scam? And then we have a bunch of real life stories. We're not going to say any names of any shops or anything like that, but we've had a lot of situations come up where the shop owner didn't have access or they didn't know how to get access. Some don't remember who even owned their Facebook page, for example, or their Google account. And so we just want to dig into all of this for you because, I mean, honestly, more than us teaching you how to do your social media or how to do SEO or ads or any of that, this is probably one of the most foundational things that you just have to get this under control. It's only going to get more important as we go along, right? A couple of years ago, people would just add me personally to their Facebook page. Now there's Facebook is meta and there's the business suite and there's the meta suite or whatever. Caroline knows all that stuff, but there's a lot of confusion out there. So let's start with you, Michelle. Talk to us about account access and security. So access, who has access? How do we get access? How do we protect it? All that stuff. What do you have to say about that? For me, with the website, especially the website department, is really knowing who has access to your domain, who has access to your email account, who has access to your Google listing, and that's as well as SEO. And so the important thing to know about that is really, are you as the shop owner, the prime person or the primary owner or account holder for all of these things? Because if you're not, you run into issues there. You run into the issue of not knowing where updated emails go to you, any alerts, things like that, passwords on how to get into those accounts so that if there is something that happens, for example, if a website's SSL certificate is expired, has not renewed, do you know what the account is? Do you know if you have access to it and how we can get that taken care of? So it's very important to really to be cognizant of your accounts, your passwords, and all of that, and just making sure that you are the primary account holder for those. Yeah, like the owner, right? For, you know, there's owner, there's manager, and then Facebook calls it something different from maybe the Google ad account. I know you can have read-only access in Google ads or whatever it might be. So Caroline, I'm going to ask you, let's first talk about the different types of access and getting who has this type of access and just take it from there, from that perspective and share with our audience about that. Yeah. So when it applies to social media, then your Instagram accounts now can all be hosted under a meta business manager or a meta business account, which is how we host all of our pages that we work with. If you are a client of ours you and we work with you on ads or social media, you know that we've gone through the process of getting access to your page. But there are different levels of access in Facebook, Meadow, whatever you want to call it. The first option is in the business manager side is partial access, which allows people to do specific tasks such as only manage their ads or only create content or only respond to DMs and comments. Or you can select all of those without still giving them full access. They just only have like the partial access is pretty much task access and it can be one task or all tasks. And then full access is what allows somebody who is not necessarily a full admin from their personal profile on your page. It's allowing the partners within the meta business manager to fully access your page, which lets them act as pretty much act as you with the same 
abilities that you would have as an owner of the page, which means you can unpublish the page if you needed to make edits to posts, the name, business information, anything like that. There are some limitations now that only the owner can make some changes. So the actual creator of that Facebook page, but with assigning team members or marketing agencies or other partners access to your page, you can give them partial or full access for your Facebook and Instagram accounts. Haley, do you want to add anything to what they just said as far as access and security goes? Yeah, I think the most important thing is to know who owns your actual Facebook page. So whoever created your Facebook page is going to be the owner of your Facebook page. We actually run into this a lot when trying to get access to our client's Facebook page. Sometimes they are not the ones who created the actual page. Maybe it was a family member or a previous employee or even a previous marketing company. And that is so important that you are the owner of your actual Facebook page. That way you can be the one that assigns those different accesses that Caroline was talking about. We even got to the point where we will no longer create Facebook pages for our clients because we want them to be the owner of their Facebook pages instead of us. So instead of creating the page for them, we walk them through how to create the page so they own it and then how to add us as admins and give us the access that we're talking um, about you. Yeah. So I'm sitting here thinking as a shop owner, right? I'm going back to the days when we were shop owners and all of this digital, this digital footprint didn't exist when we had our shop. And so here we are today. I'm thinking about it from our perspective as being an agency owner where we're accessing lots and lots of accounts, but really trying to bring it back to being that shop owner who may be, right? We have different people listening to this. We may have shop owners who are literally the only person in the shop. They're doing everything, okay? And then they're growing and they get to the point where maybe they hire a service advisor, they hire a tech, they start hiring maybe someone to help with their marketing. And before you know it, again, different shop owners, you have some who are super organized, some who are not. And so you may, I'm not even joking, there's probably... Shots are about to be fired. A shop owner who has passwords written on post-it notes stuck to the screen of their computer or they've got it in a, in a document or in a folder or whatever. Ladies, let's talk about where should passwords be stored? Because I know that when we onboard a new client, we're like, hey, we're gonna need you to do this and do this and do this. And sometimes the process takes forever simply because they're like, oh, I don't remember what my password was. So I want to set shop owners up for success and give them a framework, a blueprint, a plan for getting all these passwords together and properly storing them in the right place. What does that look like? Who wants to start? Well, I would say you can store it to your Google. So that'll go to your primary Google account that you set up, like your Gmail account. And you can store them there and always access them and also be able to update them there. And so then we'll get to talk a little bit later about the two-step verification, authentication. So that would be majority safe if you have that set up. And then also, if you can store it safely in your phone in a place just having them all collectively together or even in a Rolodex. Like I'm a fan of still writing it down, but still having it in a specific spot or something like that. I do that for my mom. We're all probably on different beliefs when it comes to that. To say, write it down kind of freaks me out because I'm like, oh my gosh, where were my, everything's for me digital now. However, 
it's the real world. There are going to be people who just want to have that right there at their fingertips. And I bought on Amazon, there's password books that literally like list all the places. So that's one thing. Carolyn, I see you were about to say something. What do you think? I was going to add and talk about LastPass again. That was what you had mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, Kim. And that's what we use here at Shop Marketing Pros from when we didn't have it and we weren't using it and we were kind of keeping track of passwords through documents and like private notes here and there. It's been so much easier to have them all in one place. We can each have our own things that we can store our own like work logins and passwords and things like that. But then we also have the ability to share them within the team. So to say anybody else that needs access to this bolt-on My Shop Manager account, we can share that with them through My Shop Manager where, like you said, they can't see the password. They're only able to fill it in with the extension that you can use on Google Chrome or Safari. It allows you to pull up that page and the password show up on the page for you to be able to pull them in. So you're not copying and pasting anything. You don't have to go look at it somewhere else and come type it somewhere or look through the Rolodex and find it and then type it and impacts and adds to a lot of the safety aspects of it and security aspects of it, but also the efficiency of being able to... You can open up LastPass in your browser and launch the website from there. If you know what you're looking for and you're already there, you're like, oh, we do have that password. You can click launch and open the page straight from there to go ahead and log in and get exactly what you need. I was going to say what's good about that as well is that if you do share it with somebody and then let's say they it's a service advisor or something like that who no longer works with you, in LastPass, you can just go remove them from having access and then you don't have to constantly update your passwords and things like that. You just remove them. And so it just mm-hmm. keeps that flowing nicely too. Yeah, that's a really good point is just being able to remove that access instead of updating the password. I think like the point is there are so many different ways to manage your passwords. I remember like there's so many, they call them keychains now, right? I think like on the iPhone and using Google Chrome. And I think like, I remember when iPhone first came out with the keychain and it was always asking me like, do you want to save this password to your iPhone? Do you want to save this? I was so against it for so long because I thought like Kim said, like, what if somebody steals my phone? But as like time went on and I just had so many different passwords and needed access to so many different things, like I did start storing them to the keychain in my phone or on my Google Chrome. And then for work, we use LastPass. So I think the point is like, there are lots of different secure ways to store your passwords, but know where your passwords are and who has access to them is like the point. I think you got to find what works for you, but just having world handy. One other thing about LastPass is that it also has a great app on the phone. Not only do you have, like Caroline was saying, the browser has an extension. So anytime you go to a website, it asks you, do you want to save your password? But you can also create folders inside of LastPass. You're keeping everything organized. I'm thinking as a shop owner, right? There's shop software, there's parts ordering, there's the CRMs. And who knows what else is out there for a shop owner. If you have someone internally handling your bookkeeping, then getting into QuickBooks, if that's what you're using or whatever it might be. So you can create different folders and even different folders of your team members. So we have like our web team has a folder, our digital ads team has a folder, our messaging, which is social email, they have a folder. We have an administrative folder. Different people have different levels of access to different things. So it's really important to know that. And then not only do you just have your own login, which LastPass makes you have a really strong 
password for. But we, as shop marketing pros, we require our entire team to enable two-factor authentication on pretty much every piece of software that we use. So it's gotten to where logging into something has become a frustrating nightmare. Sometimes it just really drives me crazy because it's like, let me text you this code. So then you go over and you get the text, the code from text or go to your Google Authenticator app and get this code or it's just always something. But there's an incredible amount of security in place. Like, I mean, we know companies who have had hackers get into the ad accounts and spent an incredible amount of money. So we really want to make sure that that security is like secure. Talking about being meta, but we love LastPass. That's the program that we use. There's a lot of other password managers or keepers out there. So we definitely want to ensure that you are getting all of your passwords written down. Maybe you do start paper and pencil because you may be wondering, how do I just get started with this? Maybe you start with paper and pencil. And for the next week or two, every time you log into something, keep track of it. And maybe you start out organizing it. Think about the categories of software that you have. Maybe it's social, then maybe it's website, maybe it's shop software, you know, whatever tools or break it down and start recording what they all are so that you have them to get started with. Find you a password keeper manager that you really want. Sit down, block out some time, get all those passwords put in there. If you need help with it, we love LastPass. We've been using it for a couple of years. Just reach out. We can probably answer some questions or at least point you in that direction. Let's talk about identity verification. I recently had someone reach out to me and they were like, do I really have to give Facebook my ID, my social security number, my this, my that, my whatever? Same thing for Google or whatever, fill in the blank, right? Identity verification. I know for us, before we were doing Shop Marketing Pros, we were doing some political campaigns. And that's where it really started with us having to really verify who we were because after the whole Mark Zuckerberg thing several years ago where he had to go testify before Congress, it created this whole thing with political campaigns having to have a higher level of identification. So we had to go through that. And I had people on my team who were like, I'm not giving Facebook my information. So I became the one that had to go through that process. Now we have other people on our team who have gone through that process, but there are shop owners who are really very weary about giving that information. So let's just talk a little bit about that. Why is it there? What's the necessity for it? What do you really need to give to Facebook or Google when it comes to identity verification? Haley, you deal with Google ads a lot. And that's one of the big, big areas where that happens. And by default, Caroline, you do with Facebook and Michelle, you probably do as well. But let's just start with you, Haley, and talk about identity verification. So identity verification is actually like a big push that's happening right now on Google ads. They started it last year. And now you are having to identify or verify your Google ads account by a certain date, or you will not be able to run Google ads anymore. And the reason they started this push, while people may be like weary of it because they don't want to submit their ID to Google, it's actually a thing that they are trying to do in order to get rid of, say, the bad advertisers on Google or the duplicate advertisers on Google. So it stops people from having multiple Google ad accounts, which cuts down on the competition and also just ensures that we're not having like tons of bot traffic or just fake advertisers in general. 
So again, while people are kind of weary of this, it does end up being a good thing for Google ad advertisers in the end. So the push that Google is doing right now to verify the Google ads account, you need two forms of documentation for this. You need some kind of documentation, like a certificate of business that you are an actual business with a physical address and you are verified by your state or city or whatever local government it may be. And then you need to also submit front and back pictures of some type of ID, like a driver's license, a passport, some kind of government issued ID. And that is to verify that you are the real person connected to this Google ads account, connected to this Google ads payments profile, and that you're the real person behind these ads and this business. So that is what is required to advertise Google ad account. And it's kind of a necessary evil. We did have a few people that were very hesitant and questioned whether or not they really have to submit their ID. And the answer just comes down to, yes, this is what Google is requiring in order to continue running ads. So, Time to thank our friends at RepairPal for making this episode possible. Don't get left behind. Today's tech-savvy consumers value instant gratification, so they start their searches for a repair shop on their computers and smartphones. These power users research auto repair and service options and decide which shops to engage with in an instant. Gain these customers by being RepairPal certified. They provide proof that your prices are fair with their best-in-class estimator. They're the largest site for auto repair, and they will introduce your shop to new customers through RepairPal.com and through the recommendation of partners like USAA, CarMax, and Consumer Reports. As shop owners, we were in the RepairPal certified network, and it helped grow our business. You have to be in it to win it, so head on over to RepairPal.com forward slash shops and set up a call to learn more. When you sign up, you'll get one month of service free, and save $150 off certification. That's repairpal.com forward slash shops. Michelle, how about Google business profiles? And even like we talked about access, but I know that domains are often an issue with people don't know, I don't know which domain it is. And we're going to talk about spam and scam later, but if that plays into this, then talk about that as well. Well, for the Google business profiles or the Google listings, for sure it does. They definitely, anytime you make a change, well, first of all, when you create a listing, you have to get it verified. And so now they used to just have you verify it through sending you a postcard with a number that you enter in onto your listing and then it would verify. Well, now because there's duplicate listings that get created or people, anybody can suggest an edit to your listing and Google can make that change to it in order for you to have to change anything back or make any major changes like to your business name, optimizing it for adding service descriptions, going in and being able to access your reviews, things like that, you might have to resubmit verification. And so what they do now mainly is you have to send in documentation of your tax ID number for the business, a utility bill, something like that, but also more than anything now they're requiring a video of like where you take a video of the inside of the shop and then also on the outside where you have signage with the address on it and all that. Now that's not a video that's going to be used on the Google business profile. That's just a video that you're proving to Google. I have an actual business. Here's my storefront. Yes, correct. All right. So these Google business profiles, you were talking earlier how there are duplicates sometimes, but sometimes people come to us and they don't even know if they have one. And I'm always telling people, 
if you own a business, there's a Google business profile, whether you own it or not, that's really up to you. So how would someone know? Because sometimes they get access and they forget. So one, how do they know if there is a Google business profile for their business? And if there is one, how do they claim it? Sure. So if you search your business or your shop name in the area that it comes, there's usually in the top of the search is the map pack or the Google listings. And so you find yours if it pops up and you click on it. And in that information, you'll see a link where it says own this business question mark. And so you can click on that. And if you are already an owner of that business listing, then it will take you to manage that profile. If not, it walks you through steps to become an owner or a manager or whatever access to it. The biggest thing that a shop owner needs to know about their Google business listing is that they need to be primary owner on that listing. There's a lot of times where it has been started by a previous marketing company where we have now taken on a client and need to get access to it. And they're not, in fact, an actual primary owner. It's the company that set them up or they just have management access, which management access allows you to have very minimal access to the listing itself. Like you can manage it, but not make major changes to it. You can't remove users from it, things like that. And so what we do to ensure, like as soon as we take on a new client and get access to that listing, as long as on there as an owner, we have to have ownership access to it in order to properly optimize the listing for them and to be able to make updates and changes that are necessary. But we go in once we get ownership access and we make them the primary owner of the account. So that way they are above all and they can remove whoever they need to. And just to throw in as well, I notice a lot when we have clients that we take on who have had previous marketing companies, they'll still have those companies on there that have access. And so even if it's just management access, they're still having access to your profile, to your records, like your statistic records and things like that, where they can just watch what's going on. So you just want to make sure that if you are in the transition of using different companies or things like that, to be conscious of that, to go in and clean that up. Yeah. So along those same lines, so Caroline, I'm going to toss this over to you with regard to like Facebook, Instagram, all of that is... There's also different levels of Facebook. And I can't tell you how many times when I was the one doing all of the social media stuff, there would be shops who are like, I don't remember who started my Facebook. I, as the shop owner, I don't like Facebook. I don't get on Facebook. I think it was one of my old service advisors who did that. I need to reach out to them. Well, I'm just thinking that if there's someone on your team that maybe you fired, and they're the ones who had access to your Facebook, what makes them just want to be a good person, just give you your page? So there's a whole lot to be said about Facebook ownership and the different levels. So Caroline, talk to us about trusted contacts and the levels within, say, Facebook or Instagram or whatever when it comes to social media. Yeah, with trusted contacts also ties into the identity verification we were just talking about, as well as having two-factor authentication set up. So the way that Facebook creates pages now is we all know that they have to be linked to a like regular personal account. Like I, Caroline, have a Facebook. I can create a page. You cannot create a page if you do not have like a Facebook account for you as a person. So we have encounter shop owners that are like, oh, well, I'm not on Facebook. I don't have a Facebook page. Their wife, their son, their daughter, their service advisor, the shop manager made the page. 
that's fine if they created it. What needs to happen is that, and what has changed a lot over the past year to two years is that if you are a business owner and you have a Facebook page, you need to have a meta business account. This is the most secure way to have all of your accounts locked down. They live in one place if you're partnered to anything else. You can also access them there and you can very easily see who has access and what access they have. You can add and remove people all in one place as well as look at your ad accounts and insights for Facebook and Instagram. So that is the best place to have it. In that case, the business manager would be the owner of the Facebook page. But if you were the one who started the business manager, you would be the owner of the business manager. So you have the highest access. They make like the big decisions. We, What our current process is for getting access to a client's page is making sure that they have their own business manager, that their ad account and their Facebook page live in that business manager. And then we partner with their assets. We used to make them own, make them their own assets, add them into ours. Now we make sure that the client owns everything that they have and that they add us as a partner. When we're doing that, unless they have everything set up perfectly before we meet with them, we kind of go through the process with them on Zoom. And so while we're doing that, we're able to see if they have other people on that account or if we build it from scratch with them, I'll ask them, is there anybody else who you need to add on here? A service advisor, a trusted family member, which ties into trusted contacts or it's already created and I see a bunch of other names. I'm like, who are these people? Do they need to be on here? If not, click remove right now and go ahead and take them out of here. An issue that we ran into recently was the same thing that a client did not know who created his page and who owned it. So we could see that it was owned by a business manager. It was not his business manager. They had the same name, ironically, but they had different business IDs. So that tricked us for just a minute. But What we had to do was complete a Facebook ownership dispute, for lack of better terms, and it result. It was so much fun. I had an absolute blast doing it. (laughs) Today, we actually got access for it, and it is we've submitted these disputes a couple times in the past for smaller issues that still warranted that response, and it never worked. So today was the first time that it worked. When I got that email from Facebook, y'all, I was like hyperventilating for a minute, literally. (laughs) Party time. The first time that it worked. So what that entails is that's the only time on Facebook when you really have to send in your ID or do anything like that. And so what we had to do was get the whole script from Facebook of what they want, submit an ID, proof of business ownership, such as utility bills, your LLC certificate from the state that you're in. All of this information has to be in one document. You type out all the details, make sure all their Facebook information's in there as well, and then provide it to Facebook, which if anybody here has worked with Facebook support, you know, or any support within like marketing and media and things like that, support can be challenging. So they got back to us today. They finally were able to approve it. And from there, we were able to put the page in the proper business manager, clear out anybody who who didn't need to have access and partner with our business manager. One thing that's really great about the business managers is the security that they offer. So on ours here at Shop Marketing Pros, there's a setting in which you can't set on a regular business page. It has to be set in the business manager. And that's a requirement that everybody in the business manager that has access to your page has to have two-factor authentication. So you can add your friend or your wife or your daughter or your husband or whoever as an admin on your page outside of the business manager. But that doesn't mean that they have two-factor authentication set up. If you're adding a trusted contact, you want to do it through the business manager, make sure that they have two-factor authentication set up. 
Because if they don't, then even though you have two-factor authentication set up, your page could still be hacked if anybody else has access. We saw that happen with a client too. And it was a huge disappointment. They were about to move into a new shop like a month later. They had thousands of followers on Facebook and the shop owner, I'm pretty sure his account was secure, but his wife and one of the shop employees were account, their accounts were added as admins to the page and they did not have two-factor authentication. One of them got hacked and the page was completely lost. It was changed into a different name. Nobody could access it. Nobody could make changes. And a different language. Yeah, I think so. There was a lot going on there. And so when it comes to having trusted contacts, that the idea of a trusted contact is pretty much having somebody as like a backup on your page that say, if I ever get locked out, I can call Haley and she can like, I can give them her email. They'll send her a code and she'll confirm that it's me trying to get it. Who would answer on your emergency contact? That's what you would want to put down. Pretty much. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm, I'm really flattered. <laughs> Very careful about that trusted contact, though, like we're talking about here, because today you may trust that person, but next week you might not. So that's why we keep talking about the different levels. So on Facebook, when you're adding a person, say, for example, instead of a business manager or any of that, you're talking about someone that you work with at your shop. Admin level is the highest level. That person can do anything. Think of admin as owner. And sometimes people throw the word admin around there and they're talking about all of the levels, but I think it's important that you use the right language. The next level is editor. The editor is someone who can do anything to the account except add or remove other people. There's a huge differentiation there. If you think of someone that you've hired, they're an employee, not really say a family member, you add them as an admin and then something goes wrong and you fire them, but you have forgotten that they're an admin on your Facebook page. Well, that just created a possible nightmare situation. So be very, very careful with that. I want to pause for just a second and throw some personal Facebook stuff in here real quick because even though we're talking about securing your business, if you don't secure your personal, the business stuff is not going to really matter. So I just want to give a couple of quick Facebook-specific security things. One... When you see that extra profile that was created, okay, we're getting into some Kim pet peeves here. So here we go. It's that post, oh my gosh, my Facebook got hacked. Your Facebook did not get hacked. Somebody created a new Facebook and they used your profile image, copied it, created it. And because you have all of your friends listed as public, they went and saw who you're friends with and they friend requested them. And then they started private messaging them. You know, the private message, hey, what's up? And you're like, I thought we were already friends. So you accept this new friend request and you say, hey, everything's good. What's up with you? And before you know it, they're trying to rope you into giving them money or whatever it might be. So that's one thing. Nobody hacked your profile. All right, let me be nice. Go and set your friends to private. So that when people come to your personal Facebook, they can't see who you're friends with, okay? So you need to do that. Look, these ladies are going, oh, that's a pro tip. I've told them about this before. How do you stalk people though then? <laughs> I know. I think we were all like, setting your friends to private. Yep. So set your friends to private. That's one thing because they're looking for easy targets. So they're going to look for people who have their friends listed publicly. And then they're going to message your grandma because she's the one that's most likely to fall for giving them money. <laughs> 100% fact. This is true. And 
this actually just happened with my mom with her granddaughter. So they were trying to get in my niece. Secret. So they started trying to get into my niece's account. She was an easy target. They got in, friend requested the grandma. And ultimately, I don't remember exactly how this happened, but they were Facebook messaging my mom to get the code to my niece's Facebook because they were trying to log in. Well, they ultimately got in and my niece lost her Facebook account. All the pictures of her kids from all these years, like it was a nightmare. So set your friends list to private. And that's the other reason to have two-factor authentication on your personal profile. It's going to sound annoying. Just takes a few minutes to set up. It's not a big deal, but this is where they're going to now text you a code or email you a code. Caroline and I were just talking last week. Somebody was trying to get into my Facebook profile and I'm not trying to put this out there for anybody to try. Please don't. But I almost don't even want to say this. I have every type of security there could possibly be on my... I have three email addresses, two or three phone numbers, two-factor authentication, the code thing, like all the stuff. So please protect your personal Facebook. That's really important. Okay, off my soapbox. Let's move on because we'll just talk forever. So we talked about SSL certificates a little earlier, website security, domain security. We're going to talk about some regular security checks. But before we do that, I kind of got ahead of myself by talking about spam and scams because the one that I just talked about was a total scam. Suddenly there's this influx of fake Facebook messages. I'm seeing them all the time in my notifications. We're having to educate our clients. When you see this notification, it's not real. The emails that are coming with regard to Facebook, but also the Google business ownership requests that are coming in constantly. We kind of alluded to that a little bit earlier. So let's go back to you, Michelle and Haley, jump in there if this applies to you with ads as well. But the Google world, business profile, ad accounts, all of this, as far as spam and the scams that are coming in, how do we know that it is spam or a scam and what do we do about it? So the biggest indicator of spam or scam when it comes to your Google business listing request that comes into your email inbox is it's usually a request for ownership and it's a random person with a name and just like a personal Gmail. And so it doesn't really have an affiliate. Like when I request ownership access to a listing. I will fill out my name. I will fill out our agency name, Shop Marketing Pros. I will allow for our email to be seen so that they can see that our email matches our domain and our name and things like that. And so that's always something to look at. These names are a lot of the times foreign names that come in and also just nobody that I look at it as like, is this person anybody that I've heard of with this shop? And usually it's not. And so what I do usually, and I know that anybody who is listed on the listing are, or whose group has access to the listing will be notified of it. So the shop owner will be notified of it as well. But what I like to do is I will send that email to the shop owner and say, hey, this came through, just wanted to make sure that this wasn't a legit request that you're approving. Usually they'll come back and say no, and either they've already rejected it or we reject it for them. The big thing that you want to understand and know is that you don't want to just dismiss it. You want to definitely click on to respond to the request. 
You want to make sure that you do not approve it and you give a good reason why. And so a good reason is just in capital letters, spam. And what this is going to do is it's not going to eliminate it. Sometimes they come in like hazardly, but sometimes they come in in fluxes where we'll get a bunch of them for a bunch of different shops. And so it's just, it's not going to eliminate it, but it's going to help to get that email on Google's radar to hopefully get it blacklisted, to hopefully try to minimize the spam as much as possible. As far as domains are concerned, because this seems to happen a lot as well, is that we will have clients who get actual mail to their shop or to their home address that their domain is up for renewal and that they have to pay a certain amount of money in order to renew it. And it's never usually with the company that they have their domain actually registered for. And so first thing that I like to say is that usually it's in GoDaddy or registered somewhere online. They are not going to send you paper mail. They are going to send you an email to the email that has been the account has been set up with. So that's a sure tell sign that when it comes in through the mail that it's spam. Awesome. Kind of going back to the Google business profile. I know that these people are like persistent because it will come two or three days in a row. So you definitely want to do what Michelle mentioned earlier, which is literally click respond. I told somebody earlier today, just ignore it. But she's like, no, tell them to respond and deny it and put in that it's spam. That helps prevent the constant asking, asking, asking. I know we get it a lot because we are on these accounts for our clients, Google business profiles. And so we always reach out to the client and say, hey, do you know this person? Do you want them to have access? So it's good to really just be on top of that so that it's not coming over and over again. These people are, my gosh, they drive me crazy. And then with the domains, when I was talking to you earlier about making a list of all those passwords, don't forget, because you're only going to log into your domain when you're registering it. So depending on if you pay for that once a year or for five years, you might have logged into it three years ago, paid for five years. So right now, just go ahead and write domain down and figure out where is your domain registered, ask your website people, make sure you know who has access and that sort of thing. So yes, those are really important. Haley, Caroline, anything to add as far as spam and scams that are happening in your worlds? We don't see this happen too, too often with Google ads, but Facebook has been a menace lately and they're kind of changing the way they are attacking you with spam on Facebook. So it used to be that this random email would send you an email posing as Facebook support or Facebook ads manager, whatever it may be saying that your page was disabled or your ad account was disabled or whatever the issue may be. And the way to tell that that was spam was simply by looking at the email address and seeing if it came from a real Facebook email. So a real Facebook email address would be something along the lines of like at facebook.com or adsfacebook.com. These email addresses that the spam emails were coming from were all kinds of crazy letters and numbers like at gmail.com. But it's no longer just emails that they're coming at you with. I recently had our customer success manager, Danny, send me a new thing pertaining to ads. And then I'll let Caroline get into all the sure ways they're talking now. But someone, a spam message had come through to one of our clients' accounts saying, I saw your products in your advertisement. I would like to know more and blah, blah, blah. And the client checked in with us and 
We were not advertising any products. We don't do e-commerce advertising. So we're not advertising any products. And it's important to know if you get a real message from a Facebook ad, it will show the ad that the message is generating from. So that's a sure way to know that a real message is coming from an actual Facebook ad. But now they're just hitting you with all kinds of messages and Caroline has debunked yes. some of these. So a regular like, Facebook message that comes in, even if they did see your post, it does not show what post it came from like it does for an ad. But we have seen similar messages of people saying like, oh, the product that I got was not what I expected to be or my order is wrong. And we work with auto repair shops. Like we're not selling t-shirts online. So there's not an order that was wrong or misdelivered or anything like that. There was more detailed and had like something about their repair services. The first thing we would do, especially if it was negative is ask the shop owner, like, Hey, was this a client? It was our customer. Like what were their services? Help us respond to this. But we've seen a lot of responses like that. And it'll just say Facebook account. Like it doesn't even say a name. It just says Facebook account. And they're complaining about the like the order that they got or the product that they ordered and things like that. Another one that we've seen a lot says that it's coming from Facebook account center or meta account support and things like that. Meta Meta business business support, things like that. It's never the official name of what support looks like. I will say like actual Facebook support is page operations or meta business support. And one thing that we've noticed lately is that some of those do have profile photos and the logo is upside down. So the meta logo, like it's like an infinity symbol, but it's kind of angled down. Like if you think of it, it's you take your infinity symbol and you turn it down a little bit. Some of these people in the spam, it's flipped upside down. So it looks more like a butterfly almost. Yeah. If the profile photo is not the actual meta logo, or if it's like off center or looks really weird, spam. Another thing that is super, super tricky is that online, just about anywhere online, if you see, besides like logos and things like that, when you see an A, it's got like the swoop on top of it, like the curved A and then the little body part, the circle part. On spam, it will not have like the curve at the top or like the hoop, the fish hook, whatever you want to call it. So if you see an A that I think the official term is like the serif, if it does not have the serif on it, that is probably spam. You will see meta business support and it will be exactly what the right name is. But that you'll notice that A looks different. You're like, wait, I feel like I've seen Meta before. The A has that swoop and that mm-hmm. hook to it, and this one doesn't. That doesn't make sense to me, but oh, that, that is spam. Like, I had a, a friend in IT is who told me that. But when it comes yeah. to messages, I would not respond to that. I know with, with Google business profile, you want to respond to them. When it comes to Facebook, a lot of them have links in there. Do not engage. Like Act like it's a bad person. Do not engage. Do not respond. Don't click the links. Yeah. Mark Don't it as spam or just simply delete it. We do see some like fake reviews come through sometimes talking about cryptocurrency. Just mark it as spam and block the people and move on from your life. It will make your life so much more easier. Facebook will not message you on Facebook unless you started a support thread with them. And if you did start a support thread, the first message will say, I'm talking to you about this case and you will know what they're talking about. If you don't know what Facebook's talking about, 
A case number, exactly. Case if you don't number. know what they're talking about, you did not submit a request form for support or you got an email or a message from them, Facebook will not contact you about your page unless you reach out first. And if you get a notification, that's another one that we've seen lately is that they're like, oh, I got a notification that my page was disabled. But you click it and it's another Facebook page trying to send you a message or trying to tag you in a post saying that your page is disabled. If you get a notification that your page is disabled, it will take you to like the settings page and like a a compliance page telling you why your page was disabled. It will not just be a general post saying that you Mm -hmm. did something and it won't tell you what post or anything like that. And you will actually notice a limitation on your page or that a post was removed instead of just this random post that you got tagged in. So if you see that and it is notification, click on the actual like profile where you would see it and it will probably take you to a Facebook page that you can then see that it's bogus. Whereas if it was an actual concern, there is no profile. You know, and if something feels fishy, it's probably fishy. Like, don't get in a rush. This is something that can cause somewhat, you see it and you panic. Just pause for a second, take a breath, step back and use the brain that the Lord gave you and the gut to say, does this feel right? Let me just look into this before I react. One thing is, in addition to all those great tips that you just got there from Caroline is hover before you click hover over the link. And in the bottom left of your browser, it will show you the link where it's going to bring you to. That can be the number one thing to tell you. You just hover over that and you can see the email address or you can hover over and see the link that it's bringing you to and you're going to know that's garbage. And then you've just gotten rid of wasting 20 minutes or more of your time. So those are some really great tips. And I'm going to tell you the next thing that we're going to do as we're wrapping up here. First of all, I hope you have found this to be incredibly helpful. You know, we plan for it and we list all these things out and we know what we're getting into. But now that we've done it, I can't help but think that some of y'all are going, oh, I want to insert a really bad word here. I got to go get this checked on, right? So I hope that you leave this podcast episode with a list or maybe you download it and you go re-listen to it because it's that important that you get this stuff straight. So what we're doing is essentially creating a checklist for you. Hopefully it will be finished by the time this episode airs and we'll have a link to it in the show notes is my vision that you'll be able to click on that and go download maybe a PDF that you can print out and lay next to your computer and check off. We're going to create a checklist to help you not only with creating those passwords, but when to check different things, things that you need to pay attention to on a daily basis, or if there's anything that you need to pay attention to weekly or monthly, but definitely quarterly. Some things are going to be annually. Some things you're going to take care of one time. We're going to put all of this together for you in the form of a checklist, specifically for auto repair shops to help with securing your marketing profiles and softwares and all that kind of stuff. It'll even include stuff that has nothing to do with marketing because just by nature of you doing it, you're going to think about your shop software or your QuickBooks or whatever it might be. So with all of that being said, I just want to give the ladies here one more chance. If there's anything that you're like, oh, I forgot to say that, then I want to give you the last word to just throw that in real quick if you have anything. Michelle, do you have anything to throw in there here at the end? I touch base on that if your domain register wants to contact you for a renewal or things like that, that it'll be through your email. You know, just as much as anybody, I get a lot of spam emails, a lot of things that come through where I just want to 
archive it. But it's really important that you do write down and know where your domain is, SSL certificates, where your website is hosted. So that way, when you do get those emails that come in, a lot of the times it will let you know if you're coming up for expiration, because we have a lot of times where domains will expire and then your website will go down and it'll go right to your registers page rather than your website. And then you didn't know that, but they've sent you emails updating you, letting you know, like, hey, it's about to expire in this time, as well as any two-factor authentication updates. Right now, I'm experiencing an issue where a domain, I'm trying to get into a domain account. And because that was changed and they didn't change it themselves, like they just let it go through, now they don't know where the codes are going to. So we can't get into it to make the website live. So it's prolonging the thing. So it's very important that you pay attention to know where they are and to pay attention to those emails that come in, um, especially for your SSL certificates as well, because that'll make your website look not secure. That'll make a user not want to use it and Google not trust it. Yeah, for sure. Michelle, I have a question too, because once your domain expires, that opens up your domain for somebody else. It'll go into bid. Yeah. And then you can, yeah, then you domain. can lose your domain if you don't pay attention to the emails coming for through back, and, and it could be pending on the domain. This could be contrary to everything that we've been saying about like, don't mess with spam. But when it comes to your own email account, it is not perfect. And this like Facebook doesn't have a spam filter that I know of. Your email account does, and it is not perfect. So check your spam because the actual email from Facebook might have gone that was telling you that there was an issue with your account that is actually legit might have gone to your spam. The email from Google or from your domain registrar could have gone to your spam. Yeah. Your marketing company could have been trying to reach you and for whatever reason the deliverability or your availability to receive that message was impacted and it went to spam. So that is a major thing to just keep an eye on every now and then, even once a week, just to look into your account and make sure that nothing's absolutely crazy. You're not missing any emails because yeah. you're quick to want to like delete point. things and move it into your spam or put it into your trash. But people very seldom actually go back and check their spam folders to see what got put in there that shouldn't be there. I just added that to our checklist. Excellent point. All right, Haley, last word. I just think that it's important to remember like a lot of this isn't a, some of it is a one-time setup, but a lot of it is things that you should be checking on regularly. Like Kim mentioned, we're going to lay it in the che- out in the checklist for you of what you should be checking weekly, monthly, annually, those kinds of things. But Michelle said earlier, you know, like when switching between marketing companies or hiring and firing new people, that should be a trigger to review access every time an event like that happens. I shared a story earlier about when a new client brought their Google Ads account to us and we started their Google Ad services and had our ads running. They didn't remove their old marketing company's access to their Google Ad account. And their old marketing company actually went into their Google ad account since they still had access and turned off the ads that we created. And luckily, we check in on our Google ad accounts every day. So we were able to see that the ads were off and we were able to see exactly how they got turned off because Google tracks the change history in their ad accounts. But that allowed the owner of the Google ad account to go and remove their old marketing company. So just use those events um, like that, a hiring, a firing, a transfer of companies. Use that as a trigger to do regular checks on who has access to your accounts. All right. If you hung in here with us this long, we're like right at an hour. 
but I think you will admit and agree that it was some really important stuff. So thanks for sticking with us, even if you had to break it up into a couple of different listening sessions, but I think it's really important stuff. So thanks again for listening to the Auto Repair Marketing Podcast on the Aftermarket Radio Network. There are some other great shows on the network and you can find them at aftermarketradionetwork.com or on your favorite podcast listening apps like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many others. If you are not in our private Facebook group, I want to encourage you to join us over there. We are having some really great conversations with shop owners about their marketing tips, strategies, ideas, things to do and not do. Go over to Facebook, look for Auto Repair Marketing Mastermind, click the join button and join in that conversation. And then lastly, if you have ideas for our podcast or if you have questions, we are encouraging you to email us at ask at shopmarketingpros.com or podcast at shopmarketingpros.com. Either way, it's going to get to us. So tune in for another episode next week. Until then, go fill those bays. You've been listening to the Auto Repair Marketing Podcast with Kim and Brian Walker. Follow the podcast on your favorite listening app. Find their emails in the show notes and visit them at shopmarketingpros.com. Let Kim and Brian know what you want discussed because they're all about advancing the aftermarket.